Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, it's the Weekly News Recap. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As always, we bring in two of Chicago's best journalists and columnists to run down the top local and state stories of the week. Stories like these. Illinois Democrats last night released new legislative district boundaries in an attempt to quell criticism. But Republicans say Democrats are using their power to draw districts that will keep them in power. Chicago public school parents, community groups, and elected officials are calling on the General Assembly to vote on an elected school board bill. The session ends on May 31st. A new indictment names Mike Madigan's former chief of staff, Tim Mapes, as the long federal investigation is getting even closer to the former House Speaker. Today, the U.S. Attorney charges mapes with perjury and attempted obstruction of justice. Okay, that's a lot. So let's get started. Here to give us a look behind the headlines is Rick Pearson, political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, Rick. Hi, Sasha. Thank you. Joining us for the first time is Jacoby Cochran. He's host of the daily news podcast, CityCast Chicago. Welcome, Jacoby. Thanks for having me, Sasha. I'm happy to be here. Now we're going to head down to Springfield first. Uh, Because of covid There's been this backlog of bills, right? Legislators are now frantically trying to finish up the spring session by Monday. So, Rick, it doesn't look like our state politicians are actually going to have a leisurely holiday weekend. Does that mean you won't either? Of course not. (laughs) The barbecue has been put away for the weekend. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's let's get into the um, controversial redistricting maps. This is something that happens once every decade following the census. Fill us in on where we are with the process, Rick. This is a subject, I know it it tends to go into the weeds, but it's really, I think, an important subject that really comes to fundamental democracy and and representation. And so, as you said, every 10 years, there's the process of redrawing the Illinois political boundaries, the legislative boundaries in Springfield, and the congressional boundaries to reflect changes in the census. Well, of course, in this crazy pandemic year, uh, where everything's been shaken up, so has the census. Normally, the census results are in by April, and the legislature is able to put together its map based on census results. But because of the pandemic, but also because of attempts by the Trump administration to change the census and try to exclude non-citizens, now the real census numbers, the hard census figures, aren't coming until at least mid-August, and more likely a, a final tally in September. Those dates are important because under the Illinois Constitution, the legislative maps are supposed to be done by June 30th. This is important for Democrats because, of course, Democrats have one-party control of Springfield. They have the governor's office with J.B. Pritzker, and they have supermajorities in the House and Senate. So Democrats are trying to get these maps done and by the end of the weekend, which is the scheduled end of the session. Right. And they're using data that isn't census data. They're actually using a product of the Census Bureau called the American Community Survey, which is an estimate, which is uh, kind of the how we used to have the old long form in the census. They now do it as a survey of individuals, three and a half million people mm-hmm. over a period of years nationwide. And they're using those estimates to come up with the population lines for redrawing the map. Bottom line is, 
the map's very important because whoever, whichever party draws the map basically puts themselves in the driver's seat for control of the General Assembly for the right. next 10 years. And Jacoby, you covered Springfield on CityCast this morning. Uh, what are you hearing about the redistricting process? Yes, yeah, Sasha, earlier I talked with Amanda Vinicky, and she basically told me that a lot of these decisions are being made in a secret room. And a lot of individuals, you know, citizens, uh, reporters, Republicans, they all are basically upset with Democrats that this process has not been carried out, as Rick said, with the correct census data. Now, we know why that hasn't gotten over to the Democrats, but the process is still, you know, such that without all of this correct or at least more accurate data, the lines that are being drawn Mm. are just as confusing as they've ever been. When I look at my house district, I have no idea how these decisions are being made to kind of split my district across other neighborhoods in the city, you know, running up towards the east side and the Indiana border. Uh, So a lot of it is still confusion. Is that right, Rick? A secret room? Oh, yeah. But you know what? Democrats have done it that way. Republicans have done it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you hear Republicans crying foul about the process this time, I can take you back to when Republicans were in control of the process. So, I mean, this is pure partisan politics at Mm -hmm. its finest. And that's that's what's going on here. And in fact, moments before we uh, came on air, the Illinois House Redistricting Committee, uh, Democrats voted uh, six to four along party lines to send the new General Assembly uh, map to the House floor. And the Senate committee is doing similar action as we speak. Rick, a a chief of staff to longtime House Speaker Mike Madigan was indicted this week. Can you tell us a bit about that and whether it might motivate state politicians to take action on on pending ethics reforms? This is our first real legislative session without Mike Madigan being the House Speaker after uh, serving uh, all but two years since 1983. But the specter of Madigan still hangs over, particularly the ComEd scandal. And now with Tim Mapes pleading guilty in federal court today, what's going on here is is the fact that Mapes was Madigan's right hand guy. He was the, he was the gatekeeper for anybody uh, who got to see Mike Madigan. And we have this ComEd investigation going on. Right. Uh, the utility having uh, agreed to pay two hundred million dollars, a record sum for uh, acknowledging that it participated in a bribery scheme with Madigan aides and allies offering jobs and contracts in exchange for trying to influence Madigan. As always, we should point out, Madigan hasn't been charged. He denies any knowledge of the bribery scheme, denies any wrongdoing. But having gone to Tim Mapes now, who is the right-hand man, uh, we see how this case is developing. And even Mapes' attorney says there's no basis for these perjury charges against my client All thereafter is the bigger fish, Mike Madigan. There was another bill that passed in the Illinois House, Jacoby. This one has to do with hairstyles. I talked about it on Reset a while back as well. Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, the legislation that came through is, you know, going to ban discrimination for basically black hair. And it's not laughable, but it's really upsetting that we're in 2021 and we're still discussing hairstyles, culture, what's allowed or not allowed in a classroom. And I think hopefully this legislation can do enough to hold people accountable because you can make a policy, but it's still the decisions that are being made every single day in these schools. That's ultimately going to, 
you know, make the difference. Something else we touched on this week on Reset is another bill, Jacoby, passed in the House to expand the number of marijuana business licenses. Mm -hmm. Can you fill us in on that one, too? It's a, a robust bill like these all are. But I think what's really important is the lottery systems that this bill is hoping to create. And that'll address a few things. You know, not only does the bill want to give out another 110 new cannabis dispensary licenses, but 75 new licenses were held up during the pandemic. The first lottery that this bill wants to have is to address the inequities around those 75 licenses. They largely still ended up in the hands of white, wealthy benefactors. Mm -hmm. And so the hope is to rescore that round of lotteries. The second lottery would be for those who score 85% or higher on the application process. And then the third drawing would be for social equity, justice involved applicants, right? Those are people who've been impacted by the quote unquote war on drugs, who live in neighborhoods that have been impacted by cannabis incarcerations, people in their family. And so my hope is that this law will do exactly what Illinois lawmakers said the original cannabis law would do, which was provide more equity and more access. I think what's really interesting about this law is a late amendment that was made to allow dispensaries or at least one dispensary to open up within 1500 feet of a dispensary in some of these uh, high traffic neighborhoods so that they can mm. compete. And when I look at that, that's really important because you rarely see a McDonald's on a corner and there's not a Burger King or a Wendy's or a competitor nearby, which says that that community, that area has high traffic for the service. And so when the original law came out, a lot of black and brown participants were cut out of some of these neighborhoods, right? Your River Norths, your Loops. And so I, my hope is that that late amendment will allow for some competition in these areas. Let's do a quick pivot to schools, guys. Uh, calls for an elected school board are intensifying. What's happening with that in Springfield, Rick? Well, you know, this has been on the table for quite some time. And I think really you're seeing it more emphatic this time around because of uh, more of the progressive uh, and racial and ethnic uh, minority groups that have embraced the, the uh, concept of a, a fully elected school or in part because of uh, the indiscriminate way that schools were closed in the past and wanting to have their say. But when you had Mayor Lightfoot say she supported it as a, as a candidate and now uh, proposing more of a hybrid approach that has her in control of appointees versus those that are elected, it, it's kind of caught up in, a, I would say, almost a progressive uh, establishment status quo within the Democratic Party itself. Yeah. There's efforts to try to broker a, broker a compromise here. And ultimately, the, the, the most recent one on the table is like an 11 to 10 appointed to elected school board that would transition over to a fully elected school board in, in years down the road. Jacoby, what are you hearing about elected school boards? And, and do you think parents actually want this change? I think largely what I've been hearing, not only in this show, but the conversations I've been having outside is that parents want a stronger say. I think we understand that there are difficulties with a fully elected school board, 21 to be exact, you know, that does open up elections to special interests, that does create more opportunity for people to pack the, uh, the school board. But like Rick said, the mayor ran on this and, you know, we're two years in the anniversary and 
the plan that she's put forward looks like a, a five to two split where she gets to pick five people and two people will be elected. And that seems like a far cry from supporting an elected school board. But the hybrid model, you know, 10 to 11, it seems that more people are coming around this idea because it would still give parents more opportunity to have a say on what their school board ultimately looks like. And when the president of the current board is advocating alongside CTU, alongside uh, advocacy groups and parents mm -hmm. uh, for more uh, say so at the table, th then I think this is something we need to consider. That's Jacoby Cochran, host of the Daily News podcast, CityCast Chicago. Also with us on the recap this week, Rick Pearson, political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Rick and Jacoby, let's switch gears from the state to the city and talk a bit about these stories. An ordinance currently in front of the city council hopes to rename the highway after the city's first non-Indigenous resident. Travelers are taking to the roads and the skies once again. Passenger volume peaking this morning at O'Hare Airport. The mayor's proposed 10 p.m. curfew on packaged liquor sales, raising major concerns. Differences over police reform were on full display today during a meeting of the City Council Public Safety Committee. Mayor Lightfoot's 17-page proposed ordinance would set up a citywide civilian commission of seven appointed members and smaller elected public councils in each of Chicago's 22 police districts. City Council failed to take any action on the Chicago Police Misconduct Database. Jacoby, are you hearing frustration from people about the pace of police reform? I mean, frustration is like a, is a very delicate word, honestly. I think people are <laughs> angered. People yeah. are disappointed. People are uh, honestly livid because not only is Chicago under a federal consent decree, which requires us to make police reforms. Uh, we understand that uh, we continue to use outdated and racist practices like the gang database, but we can't get the police misconduct database updated, right? The original plan was to have it go back to 1994 and the most recent plan wants it to go to 2000. It's disappointing because so many of these feel like superficial reforms to begin with. They feel like reforms that should have been made a very long time ago. So the fact that we're still, again, two years into the mayor's uh, tenure, mm -hmm. and the biggest piece of reform we got this week was a foot pursuant policy, which to me, I'm gonna be honest with you, I read it and I still wonder to myself, well, how is this actually going to impact what's happening on the street? Well, Jacoby, what are, what are the details on that? I was, I was gonna ask you about the, the foot pursuit policy. Yeah, it it says that, you know, officers shouldn't pursue a person if they are, you know, suspected of a minor traffic offense or a misdemeanor. They have to stop if a person is injured. They have to, you know, not chase a person if they're not a danger to themselves or their neighborhood. But I read that and so much of it still leaves how these policies are enacted in the split second decision of officers. And I understand that that split second is extremely fast and it's difficult. But that's the reason why we should be putting more effort into reform, because this job is already too cumbersome for officers. It's already extremely complicated for officers. And these type of superficial policies, I don't think, get us any step closer. And that's just not me talking. That's all the way up to the inspector general, Ferguson, who is extremely frustrated with how this misconduct database is folding out. Also in city council this week, uh, Jacoby, downtown alderman, Brandon Riley, he introduced an ordinance that uh, those of us who take Uber or Lyft are applauding. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to lie. 
That's one of the ordinances that when I saw it come out, I was like, we need this. Yeah, you covered it on CityCast too, didn't you? Right. I was reading a tweet earlier this week that talked about companies like Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, right? And these are services that I've used that a lot of us have used. And when they came out, they were sold to us as cheap alternatives, as sharing opportunities for us to share our homes and our cars, our sort of to create that neighborly bond. But we knew we were being played. And now years into their operation, You'll be downtown and a ride will jump from $15 to $70 in a matter of seconds. And I understand that we have to make sure that the people who work for these services, these rideshare drivers, are not being exploited, that they're not being taken advantage of. But on the opposite end, we have to make sure that there is some protection for people who are going to use these services. And I think a 150% cap, you know, if a ride is $10, it won't go more than $15. You know, I think that that is doable with some of the egregious fees and upticks that I've seen over, you know, just the last couple of weeks. Here's another consumer story that um, may not make everyone quite as happy. Now, as part of the pandemic relief package, the mayor proposes a 10 p.m. curfew on liquor sales. She says that this is a direct response to loitering and other illegal activity around liquor stores that she claimed aren't being good actors. Jacoby, you think this makes sense for Chicago? I mean, I think putting the onus on stopping loitering on, you know, bringing liquor sales up, I think that's a, unfortunately a short-sighted calculation on what the larger issue is. Um, and so sort of making business owners take the brunt of that, I think is a little short-sighted. Jacoby, I think you're you're making a good point, too, that some people have noticed is that this almost seems like a a effort to steer business to the bars and restaurants mm-hmm. yeah. from from the retail establishments, and it does seem, from what I understand, that the uh, the mayor has indicated that there is some room for negotiations on this. Well, let's shift gears a bit. I want to talk about the stalled attempt to honor the legacy of Jean Baptiste de Sable. While I think we should do more to memorialize Jean Baptiste. I, I do think it's a little disingenuous to say that there are no attempts at memorializing him. I think we can do more. I think we have to continue to memorialize not only Dusabo, but the indigenous community that was here prior to him. But, you know, I'm a Chicagoan. It's still the Sears Tower. It's still Comiskey Park. It was still going to be Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> I want to switch over to the county. Uh, the Cook County Board unanimously voted to make Juneteenth a county holiday. Does that seem like a big deal to you, Jacoby? I thought that this decision was made uh, a while back, honestly, and, and maybe that's my own ignorance because it's it's both great that people are getting more informed to place Juneteenth in the spotlight it deserves. But again, it's always unfortunate that it feels like it's more reactive than proactive, that these are decisions that are being made largely to appease than really to celebrate. And so my hope is that we actually use this holiday not as just sort of a day off from work, but a day to collectively learn. You know, I think that's what get lost in a lot of these holidays, whether it's Memorial Day or Juneteenth is. Yeah. There's often a more substantive history here than just a day off and a and a barbecue with the homies. And so my hope is that people take more time to engage the holiday to really learn um, about what that looked like, because uh, it it is not necessarily the end of slavery in America. Let's be real. I don't think we've really come to a full scale end of slavery in America and a reckoning, but it was a monumental day in history and deserves the spotlight. It sure doesn't feel like it today, fellas, but Memorial Day is the unofficial kickoff to summer, as we know. Uh, it's really starting to feel like we might have 
kind of a normal summer this time around. Beaches are officially open today, but I am hearing that as we speak, many are closing because of the yes. high waves out there. Um, <laughs> but um, Wrigley Field's going to 60% capacity. What are people telling you, Jacoby, that they're most excited about being able to do now? I, I love that you mentioned the beaches because I had this moment where you know I was like walking out the door. <laughs> you like, had your I'm stuff packed, didn't you? This after, after the recap, you were going to pack up your basket and head out, weren't you? Yeah, I stepped out <laughs> the door this morning and that wind hit me in the face. I said, taking my ass back inside. Um, <laughs> but But the people that I've been talking to, again, there is a great amount of caution. Some people are, you know, they're not interested in summertime shy just yet. They're still trying to make sure they take all the precautions for their families to make sure that they can start to, you know, build back their lives. You know, we can talk about festivals, but a lot of people lost their livelihoods, their ability to sustain themselves. But of course there are, there's a lot of excitement out here for festivals. I mean, that pitchfork Sunday lineup, you know, had me salivating immediately. I wanted to be out there enjoying it. I love to be outdoors in the parks, which I talked about so much on the show. You know, I can't wait to go to a ball game with the City Cash Chicago team. Nice. Like, these things are so important to us as a city. I just want to make sure that the rush towards consumerism doesn't leave a bunch of people in their wake because we're already seeing as we started to transition towards vaccines, we stopped talking about testing. Now that we're transitioning back to being outside, we'll talk less about vaccines and less about testing, which means we'll talk less about death, less about struggle less about suffering. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm extremely excited to get outside. I'm going to go see a movie in a theater later today for the first time in Great. over a year and a half. So I am excited overall, Sasha. And the people that I'm talking to are largely excited as well. Well, we're almost out of time, but I have to get both of you to weigh in here. You know, we are so excited, as we just talked about, for this long weekend and the summer to come. But this was a somber week. We marked one year since the murder of George Floyd. Do you get the feeling that people are hopeful or frustrated, maybe a little bit of both one year later? Uh, Jacoby, you first. Um, well, Sasha, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to feel hopeful. You know, we talked about slow reforms, and, and some people believe even those reforms won't do enough. You know, we talk a, a lot about the legacy of America. It wasn't just in the summer of 2020 that we realized, you know, maybe we got a problem on our hands. But what I am seeing is that more people are having the conversation, even if it's superficial. Words like defund and abolish are on people's tongues in a way that they were not five and 10 years ago. Words like solidarity, words like intersectional. You know, Ariane Nettles says something to me earlier this week, which was key, which is giving people the language to explain and understand the circumstances around them. And my hope is that after this year, we don't do what America loves to do, which is put on the rose tinted glasses, put out some amazing documentaries and pieces of art and then move forward. My hope is that we use this. It's not a new language to many of us, but it's a new language to some of us. I hope we use it to better understand the circumstances around us. Rick, what are your thoughts? Do you sense a change, too? As Jacoby said, the conversation is good, but at some point, conversation is just talk. And how many other issues that are daunting in front of us in this country have become nothing more than just talk with no action? I'm encouraged that 
there seems to be some changing in attitudes, but I don't know that there's necessarily a great feeling to be optimistic because so much of our life today is short attention span theater. Well, that's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Chicago Tribune political reporter Rick Pearson and Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago, for stopping by and talking news and politics with me. Enjoy your holiday weekend, folks. And that's the weekly news recap for May 28th, 2021. Don't forget to check this feed on Sunday when Dr. Mia Taramina updates us on the latest science around the pandemic and answers questions about COVID-19, vaccines, and more. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.